1972, there was a researcher at Stanford University who published some research that has become known informally as the marshmallow test. Maybe it might be the most famous uh, example of psychological research ever done or ever published, at least in the United States. And this, uh, this research, this test, the marshmallow test, studied children as they were offered either a small immediate reward or a bigger reward in the future. Specifically, they made a room. In that room, they put a table and chair with a plate and a marshmallow on it. And one by one, they would bring a child in there, and the, the, whoever you know, was running the research would say, here's a marshmallow. You can eat it right now if you want to. Or if you wait until I come back, I'm going to leave the room. If you wait until I come back and the marshmallow is still here, you can have that marshmallow and a second marshmallow. And then the researcher would leave the room for 15 minutes, and they would watch on camera to see what would happen. As you can imagine, some kids ate the marshmallow right away. Some kids tried to not eat the marshmallow, but ended up giving in to temptation before the researcher returned to the room. And some of the kids waited successfully and received both the marshmallow in front of them and the one that was promised when the researcher returned to the room. Now, the purpose of this study was actually to find out how the kids who waited did it, what they did psychologically to help them delay gratification. But I think a more interesting part of this study is what happened afterwards. See, the researchers kept track of who these kids were, and they watched them progress through the stages of childhood, adolescence, and into adulthood. And they kept tabs on their progress in life. And what they found is pretty interesting. What they found is the kids who were able to wait until the researcher returned and received two marshmallows instead of one, the ones who were able to hold off enjoying the immediate pleasure of the marshmallow and delay gratification so that they would get the extra reward, those kids did better in life across many different dimensions than the ones who gave in to the temptation. These kids did better in school, typically, than the ones who ate the marshmallow in front of them. They had fewer uh, disciplinary problems and even problems with the law than kids who couldn't wait and ate the marshmallow. They had better health outcomes. They did better in their whatever their cho chosen field of profession was in pretty much every measurable way. By a large margin, the kids who were able to delay gratification performed better in life than those who gave in to the temptation of immediate gratification. And I bring up this story to illustrate the principle, which is that delayed gratification is essential to long-term success. Every human being who is in any way successful at all learns something about delayed gratification. If you're able to get up out of bed when you would rather stay in bed, you are choosing a long-term good, delayed gratification of having employment and getting paid, rather than the immediate gratification of staying in bed. And so every human being who does anything in life, no matter how successful or marginally successful, 
We all learned something about the benefits of delayed gratification. But the truth of the matter is that all of us know that we would, our life would be better in the future if we were able to do more delayed gratification now. We all know that if we could stop spending everything that came in and save some of it and invest some of it, life would probably be better for us financially in the future. We all know that if we were able to skip the donuts that are offered in the break room at work and instead maybe go for a walk at lunchtime, we would be better off health-wise in the future than we do if we eat a donut every day or smoke a pack of cigarettes every day or do whatever. Delayed gratification, we all understand that it offers us long-term success. But here's the problem with delayed gratification. It's hard. Delayed gratification is hard. It's a lot easier to just eat the donut and enjoy the sugar rush than to tell yourself, well, I want to be healthy in 30 years from now, and so I better not eat donuts today or tomorrow or any day in the future. Delayed gratification, we all know it's important, but it's hard. It's hard to do. But here's the problem with delayed gratification. Even though we all know that it can be helpful and important in some way or another, we also know this. There's no guarantee. Delayed gratification usually, often, leads to better outcomes in the future. But there's no guarantee. And there are people who have carefully budgeted their money, carefully set aside money in savings, carefully invested their money in nice conservative investments, hoping that it will grow so that when they reach retirement, they'll be able to retire and they'll be able to have a comfortable living. And then there are many people who have done this, and then when they've reached retirement, the stock market crashes and they have to keep working. Or the investments they thought would be safe don't pan out the way they expected. Or they have some kind of a major problem that causes them to drain those finances quickly. Delayed gratification is good. It's important. It gives us long-term success most of the time. But there's no guarantee. There are plenty of people who watch their diet and exercise on a regular basis who die of a congenital heart defect or contract cancer or die in a car accident. People who watch their diet and exercise tend to live longer, healthier lives, but there's no guarantee. And so while delayed gratification is essential to lifelong success, it's hard to do. And it's not guaranteed. Today's passage in James chapter 1, verse 12, James continues talking and concludes talking about the issue of trials. And you'll remember that we said that trials are the hard times in life, the times when we feel frustrated, the times when we feel discouraged, the events in life that cause us to say, is it really worth living the way that I'm living? Is it really worth it specifically to keep following Jesus Christ, to keep living ethically as a Christian, to keep believing the things that I believe. Trials test our faith to see whether it's genuine or not. And as James concludes this paragraph of scripture where he talks about the role of trials in a believer's life, he comes in verse 12 to the conclusion of his argument. And that conclusion is all about delayed gratification. 
But here's the good thing about what the passage teaches us this morning. Delayed gratification in this life is essential to lifelong success, but there's no guarantee. In contrast, though, when it comes to trials and when it comes to following Jesus Christ, the Bible is going to show us this, that God promises the blessing of eternal life through delayed gratification. And I want you to focus on the word promises. Delayed gratification in this life doesn't promise really anything, but God does. As we look at what God says about the coming rewards for those who persevere in trials, we are going to see in this passage that the payoff that God promises for persevering in trials is guaranteed. It's a promise of God, and you can bank your life on it. And as we dip into our passage this morning, as we look at James chapter 1, verse 12, we begin with a promise that God pronounces over those who persevere. The passage begins by telling us that God's blessing is promised to the Christian who perseveres. Let's look together at the passage. James chapter 1, verse 12. The scripture says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. This first part of the verse pronounces a blessing on those who do what James has been teaching us to do. He says that if we truly believe in Christ, and if we keep believing in Christ, and keep following Christ, and keep growing in our faith throughout our lives, no matter what we face in this life, that there will be a blessing promised by God. Now, this word blessed is one that is used in Christian world all the time. And I don't know about you, but I increasingly find non-Christians using the word too, which surprises me. But I hear people all the time saying, I'm blessed and talking about and sometimes even conferring a blessing on other people. But even though this word is used a lot, both in Christian culture and in culture, generally speaking, I find that a lot of people don't really understand what it means. And even Bible translators have difficulty making this word meaningful in an English translation or an English sense. Sometimes you'll hear this word translated or interpreted as happy. And I don't disagree with that translation. I understand what they're getting at. But really a better way to describe the word blessed or to translate the word blessed would be to translate it as either fortunate or you could uh, translate it um, favored. It's probably the best way to do it. Favored by God. Someone who is blessed has received the favor of God. And that means in the moment that they may not feel the feeling of happiness. But rather, they have been declared to be under the favor of God, and that happiness is promised to them at some point in their lives, though they may not experience it as a feeling at any given moment. And so when the Bible says that we are blessed if we persevere under trials, the scripture pronounces this state, this, this um, way of being by God, 
even though we may not receive the happiness that is often associated with the idea of being blessed. And the point is that that blessing will, that happiness will eventually appear. Like the marshmallow test. The child who receives two marshmallows because he was able to wait out the trial is happier when he leaves the room than the kid who ate the marshmallow and then was told by the researcher, sorry, you ate the marshmallow so you don't get a second one. That child felt good the moment they put the marshmallow in his or her mouth, but probably felt a little discouraged, a little dismayed when they left the room without that second marshmallow. During the moments of the test, the child who waits, who doesn't eat the marshmallow, feels not blessed. They feel stressed. They they, um, have reported the idea of of feeling some anxiety about um, would they be able to pass the test or not. And in many ways, that's what the passage is saying to us. That the person who is truly happy in a God sense, in a godly sense, in in a sense that's going to last... The person that's blessed may not feel joy naturally in any moment of testing, but God pronounces them to be happy. God pronounces a state of blessedness on them because of the happiness, the overwhelming happiness that will result when they have passed the test. And so this teaching now closes the argument. It it, it sums up what has been taught to us all the way going back to verse 2. Remember in verses 2 and 3, we were told that God tests our faith in order to develop perseverance. That quality that causes us to stick through and remain faithful to God and remain faithful as believers even when our faith is tested. The Bible says testing develops that perseverance. And that perseverance creates Christian maturity within us. And when we saw, we saw as we looked back in those verses that the temptation in trials is to quit believing. It's to walk away from the faith. It's to say that God isn't real or it isn't worth it for me to continue following God. And what trials do is they test the genuineness of a person's faith. Many people say they are believers in Jesus Christ. Many people claim to be followers, disciples, Christians. But the Bible tells us that many people are actually deceiving themselves. They may think that they're followers of Christ, but the genuineness of their faith is actually revealed in the moments of trial. When God saves you, you're saved forever. When a person comes to trust Christ, God pronounces something called justification over that person, and it's permanent. God never takes it back. But there are many people who claim to be saved, who claim to be justified, but they quit the Christian life at some point along the way. What the Bible teaches us about those people, about people in that situation, people who quit along the way of the Christian life, they don't persevere to the end of their life. That person does not truly know Christ. They don't truly have salvation. You see, perseverance is not just a character quality of Christians. It's actually a core doctrine of the Christian faith. 
True believers are not tested only by their profession of faith in Christ. That's part of it, and it's important. But that's not the end of it. A true believer in Christ is tested both by his or her profession of faith and by their perseverance in the faith. And God says that a person like that, someone who perseveres in the trials of life, is blessed. So God's blessing is promised to those who persevere to the Christian who perseveres. But I want you to notice in the next phrase that we're going to learn this, that God's blessing will be received in the future. God's blessing will be received in the future. Again, looking at our text, the pronouncement is here at the beginning, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. And the word because tells us when that blessing will be received. It says, Because having stood the test, the idea of having stood the test, the point of the phrase having stood the test, is that the test is going to happen. Your faith will be tested. You will go through trials. And after you've passed the test, you receive the blessing. Just like after you pass the test in school, you receive the grades, you receive the degree. The point is to say that after someone successfully manages to continue to follow Christ, despite the ups and downs of life, despite the stresses and strains and problems and pains that come in life, someone who follows Jesus Christ through it all and never turns away from him finally and fully, but keeps following Jesus Christ, at some point in the future, that person will receive the blessing. It's pronounced over us at the beginning of our faith, but it's received by us in the future after we have finished the test. And this is where the concept of delayed gratification comes into the passage for this morning. Like the kids who participated in the marshmallow test, they were tormented by the marshmallow sitting in front of them. Their willpower was tested, and it was a difficult test to pass. But those who waited it out, those who believed the promise made by the researchers, were glad that they did when the test was over, in the future, from when the promise was received. And so it is with the trials and tests of this life. God pronounces the blessing on us now, before and during the trials we face in life. But we don't receive that blessing until we reach the future. And this takes us back to the joy that was promised back in verse 2, where God says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is why, because God is working on us in the present and he's promising something for us that's so much better than the pleasures of this life in the future. And so when we talk about the blessing that is described for those who trust Christ and those who persevere, we see in this passage that God's blessing is promised to the Christian who perseveres and that God's blessing will be received in the future. But next we see this. What is the blessing itself? We've been using this word blessed, but what exactly is it? The answer is given to us, of course, in the verse. And that answer is the blessing itself is the reward of eternal life. The blessing itself is the reward of eternal life. Back in our passage in verse 12, 
the Christian, the, the, the passage says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. This phrase here, the crown of life, describes what the blessing is. And it's important for us to understand what the Bible teaches about this. The Bible teaches that there is a reward in the future that will be conferred by God upon those who persevere in faith in this life. But what exactly is that reward? You may have heard and you may have read in the scriptures that God promises crowns to those who believe in him and who follow him in faith. But the crowns that God promises are probably not exactly what comes to mind when you think about a crown. When the Bible talks about crowns that are going to be given to Christians who persevere, it's not talking about a golden tiara that someone in royalty wears. If anyone wears a crown like that, it's going to be God. The word that's used in the New Testament for crowns does not refer to that golden thing that the king wears. But instead, it refers to a wreath made out of literal leaves. And that wreath of leaves was given to participants in the games, like and including the Olympic Games. The winners of whatever events were held in the Olympic Games, those winners were designated. They were rewarded for their win with this thing of leaves, this this wreath of leaves placed on their head. And because it was made of leaves and not of gold, of course, it withered in a few hours and really had no lasting value. The point of the wreath, the point of the crown, if you will, was to designate the winners from the non-winners. Now, this is the word that the Bible uses when it talks about the crowns that Christians will receive in the future after we stand the test of this life and after we are judged by God in the final judgment, the rewards that are described are this this crown, this wreath. But the question is, are there different crowns in the New Testament? Some people believe there are five, I think that's the right number, five different crowns that a Christian can receive. And they, maybe they think that you walk around in heaven with like five of them stacked up on your head where people might well go by and say, that guy's a five-crowner. That's amazing. (laughs) Some people believe that, but I don't think that's what the Scripture is teaching. And there are many many Bible scholars who agree. When the Bible uses the idea of a crown, it's not telling us we're going to receive a literal crown on the day of judgment. But rather, it's making an analogy. Just like the winner is awarded something for winning. The Bible says God is going to award the persevering Christian at the end of life. And what is that reward? Well, it's quite clearly indicated in this verse when it says the crown of life, the phrase of life could be and should be translated. And I'm disappointed that my favorite translations, none of them do this. They all should have. This could be translated the crown, which is Life. That's the point. The reward for perseverance is life. In other words, or specifically, it's eternal life. What is the blessing that God promises to those who persevere? It's eternity in his presence in the kingdom of God. 
It's a life that will never end and cannot be taken away from you. That's the reward for persevering in faith and good works. That's what God promises to those who trust him. The blessing is a reward. That's what the crown indicates. And as we live in this world and encounter the trials of this life, as we walk with God and believe in him and put his words into practice and obedience in our life, God puts us in the test of fire. He puts our faith to, to the test. And that test will take many, um, take many forms in your life. It may be the test of people who cut off a relationship with you because you're a Christian. It may be the test of a health setback or a financial problem. These tests can take many forms in their life, but they're all designed, one, to show, will you keep following Christ even when it's hard, even when it's discouraging, even when it seems easier to quit? And two, they're designed to purify your faith, to show you, hey, you're, not actually, you're, you're trusting Jesus, yes, but you're also trusting in your health, your wealth, your friends, your whatever. God burns off these other dependencies to purify our faith in him. And when we persevere in the Christian life, the Bible promises the reward of eternal life. But it's very important for us to understand that that reward is not given to us because we earned it. Yes, we must persevere to receive eternal life. But the final phrase in this verse is so important to lock in the entire truth. And so let me just state what the principle is, and then I'll show it to you in the verse. The blessing is eternal life, but the blessing is based on relationship, not on works. As I've been teaching you through this passage, and I've been saying, God, genuine faith perseveres. You have to keep following Christ in faith and in good works for the entirety of your life. There's the possibility that someone might conclude that it takes like kind of white-knuckled obedience, like somebody who's hanging on for dear life and it's their own human effort that gets them into the presence of God and that salvation is the reward for hanging on for dear life. But that's the wrong implication to take from the passage. Yes, the Bible says the blessing of eternal life comes to those who persevere, but that perseverance is not generated from your good works. And the reward of eternal life is not because you've earned some kind of favor with God. Instead, look with me again at verse 12 and, and see this really important part of the truth and part of the verse. The last part of the verse says, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That the Lord has promised to those who love him. What causes a person to persevere through the problems of life, the stresses of life, all of the times in life when we could abandon Jesus and when we could just blend in with the rest of the world and go our own way. What separates the person who perseveres from the person who doesn't? It's not that the person who perseveres has a stronger stronger willpower. It's not that the person who perseveres is a better person. It's not that the person who perseveres has earned favor with God. What separates the person who perseveres in faith and good works from the person who doesn't is that the person who perseveres in faith and good works has a true relationship with God. 
That phrase that says that the Lord has promised this to those who love him shows us that it is our relationship with God that carries us through the trials of life. It's not our self-discipline. It's not our iron will. It's our love for God. Now, the topic of God's love for us and our love for him is an important one in Scripture, and a lot of Scripture is devoted to it. There's a, way more than I could get into in this message. And so let me just summarize it by saying this, that love for God, our love for him, is a response to his love for us. The Bible says God demonstrates, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for us. The Bible says that our love for God is actually a response to his love for us. But it's the genuine response of everyone who knows Jesus Christ. When God's love is revealed to you, when you see the love of God in the cross of Jesus Christ, and you turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says God's love is shed abroad in your hearts. God gives you a new nature. We call this regeneration in terms of biblical theology. And that regeneration gives you a new nature within, a nature that cares for God, that loves God, that believes in God for who he is. And it's that love for God that causes us to persevere in faith and good works. It's God's favor given to us that causes us to love him. And that love is what carries us through the trials of life. Just as an illustration, and there's no perfect illustration for this, but, but here's one that I think might help. In the human realm, there are people you know, there are families you know, where someone in the family has a serious, long-term illness. And that serious, long-term illness requires extra attention from the family. It requires the family to care for the person who has the serious long-term illness in ways that they wouldn't for the same person who was healthy. In other words, the family might have to spend money, a lot of money, getting medical treatment for the person with serious long-term illness. And the family might have to put up with all kinds of behavior from that person that they wouldn't ordinarily take from someone who was healthy. And the family might have to do things for that person well into adulthood, like taking care of their needs when they need to use the toilet or washing them or whatever. What carries through in someone's life when they care for somebody like that, when they do the dirty work of caring for someone who can no longer care for themselves? There may be some days where it's a sense of duty, a sense of obligation, but that sense of duty and obligation rises from love. Human beings care for their spouse or their children who has long-term needs because they have a love that's much greater than a feeling of sentimentality. But it's rather a deep-seated devotion that, yes, does care passionately for the person emotionally, but is focused on the person, not the problems presented by caring for that person. 
And so it is when it comes, and again, this is not a perfect illustration, but I hope you understand the point. The person who gets mad at God and walks away from the faith because the trials of life are difficult does so because they don't have true love for God. They may like what they've heard about God. They may aspire to certain aspects of the Christian faith, but they don't love God with all of their hearts. Love for God will take you through the hard moments of life. And it's the only thing that will take you through the hard moments of life. And that love for God is not human generated. It's not created by you. It is the gift of God to us in Jesus Christ. And it's sparked by genuine faith in him. Faith that believes that Christ died for your sins. Faith that believes that Christ will return and set up his kingdom. And faith that believes that there will be the reward of eternal life for those who continue in the faith. What's going to take you through trials is not your willpower. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the end of this paragraph, and as we conclude James's lengthy teaching and detailed teaching about the topic of trials in our life, I've told you that these things are all tests of our faith. They are they are intentional acts of faith that cause us to persevere in trials. This passage tells us what the delayed gratification for this is. That if we persevere in faith and in good works, there is a payoff. There is a reward. And that reward is eternal life. Eternal life is the reward for intentional acts of faith, specifically the intentional act of faith known as perseverance. It is an act of faith to love a God that you can't see, but that you know exists and believe exists because you've read his word and his Holy Spirit has said, this is true. That takes a faith. And it's an act of faith to believe in a promise that you won't experience in this life. And it's an act of faith to keep believing and keep loving God when the pressures and problems of life tell you you'll be better off to abandon this and join the rest of us in the world. And so the big idea for this message, the point of this message is this, eternal life is the reward for intentional acts of faith. Specifically, the intentional act of faith of of perseverance. And my conclusion and my invitation to you is, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you come to love Jesus Christ and believe in him as an intentional act of faith? And as you may be enduring the moments of trial in your life right now or in the near future, and you feel the temptation to walk away from the faith, can you believe that there is a reward of eternal life if you persevere? Can you believe that loving God is a better offer, both in this life and in eternity, than anything that this world can offer you? That's an intentional act of faith.